CTE Soccer Women's World Cup podcast, sponsored by Cadbury. For grassroots to national level, a supporter and a half of women's football in Ireland. Turn the world round, shut the show down. I was spinning, couldn't slow down. On the road now. All right, welcome along to the Artie Soccer Women's World Cup podcast. Raph Giallo here. We started out with 32 teams with Ireland among them. And after the last 16s over the last four days, we're down to the final eight sides. And those quarterfinals will all be live on RT television and the RT player on Friday and Saturday. And as we navigate our way through the knockout stages, I'm joined today by Ireland international Megan Campbell to talk about the trills and spills from the last 16 and also to look ahead to what's next. And Megan, we'll uh, jump straight in. Hope you're keeping well. And, uh, you know, the first team to make their way into the quarterfinals was Spain and Switzerland were the team that stood in front of them, ends up going 5-1 to Spain. And it before kickoff, it seemed like it would be an awkward clash because of Switzerland's defensive strength. But then Spain make five changes and seem to have learned from the 4-0 de- defeat to Japan in their final group game. Yeah, I think throughout the group, Switzerland were very strong defensively, but um, struggled maybe to score goals on the other end. And then you have the likes of Spain in their group, minus the game against Japan. They had some unbelievable results and, and a lot of turnover in terms of scoring goals. So it was always going to be a clash of who can score the most versus who can keep them out, I think, in terms of defensively for Switzerland, attack-minded for Spain. And obviously Spain came came out the upper hand on that one, scoring uh, a good few goals. And obviously the rotations within their squad shows the depth that they have to be able to then put up that performance. So uh, they're definitely going to be a, a side to be reckoned with and, and one that we've got to keep our eye on it going into later the tournament, I think. Yeah, and the other team, I think, that's probably been the most impressive overall, of course, has been Japan. And you know, Norway are a traditional power, but the Japanese you know, sort of made light work of it for the most part, winning 3-1. But uh, one player I think that's really stood out uh, throughout the tournament has been Hinata Miyazawa. Um, what have you made of her? Five goals uh, during the tournament and not necessarily playing up front. Yeah, just a technical player who can play. Like mo- every Japanese player is so technical, um, so technically gifted. And the ability to bring other players into the game is incredible. But then to be able to you know, put goals into the back of the net as well and, and to be a goal scorer and not necessarily that you would perceive to be to be the one scoring all the goals and to be coming up with those performances and, and putting them in the back of the net to help the team through. Obviously, they've had some amazing performances and um, they're a really exciting team to watch uh, and I'm looking forward to the, seeing them now um, in the next round. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Netherlands as well also making their way through. But it was against South Africa, 2-0 win, which looks comfortable on paper, but they appeared a little bit uh, vulnerable um, in that game. Yeah, I don't think we've probably seen the the best of the Netherlands or what you would probably have watched them in previous years in, in major competitions, you know, um, performing. And then obviously now they're going to miss Van der Donk in the next round as well. So she'll be a massive loss through the middle for them. But... South Africa really put it up to them and I think they held strong and all credit to them for getting that far in the competition as well. You know, um, they're, they're obviously got some technically gifted players and um, they got, they, they deserve to be where they, where they got to, you know, by ultimately beating Italy on the final day of the group stages. So, you know, it was a definitely going to be a difficult encounter for them, but they, they stood up to the task against Netherlands and obviously just came up short. Yes, but they should be proud of their performance. 
Yeah, and arguably the biggest talking point of the last 16, of course, was the United States. The four-time winner has never uh, been outside the bronze medal place, um, even at bare minimum in their history throughout the tournament and, you know, losing a dramatic penalty shootout to Sweden. But, you know, some people are billing it as a shock. Was it as big a shock to you, given the US's form throughout the tournament and also the fact that, you know, Sweden are not minnows. Sweden are one of the highest ranked teams in the world. Yeah, I think Sweden's performance was definitely work off set pieces and, and see what we can get in the final third. And, you know, more of a long ball team, which is quite strange to say about Sweden because you don't really see that type of performance from them a lot. Um, but obviously knowing who they were coming up against, they probably had a tactic and want to, you know, play their game plan to, to, the, to the best of their ability. But then you see in the US side who looked like they struggled to, to gain any kind of momentum in terms of, Yes, they had probably the best chances in terms of Lindsay Horan in the second half, the keeper making unbelievable saves to keep Sweden in the game. But in terms of their overall performance, I wasn't too like, oh my God, this is USA, which is what we know of of them, like the machines, the the powerhouses in major competitions, World Cup, like they're the dominant force, you know. And so to not see that type of performance from them was you could say on one side a shock because normally they know they'll do anything and they know how to win. But at the same time, I'm like, it's, it's obviously a team in transition. They've had a lot of major senior players retire um, and, and leave them from one previous competition, 2019 to now. So there's been a long time of transition for them in terms of not a lot of people, I say not a lot of players within the squad understanding the, the the mentality kind of aspect and I I seen previous things on Carly Lloyd speaking on it about the mentality and the drive and then Kelly O'Hara saying we got back the team and you know be positive and this they're, they're a new team and you know there's young players within it like Sophia Smith um but at the same time you've got the USA badge on you and the the expectations are so high and I don't know if that's maybe got to them or you know, maybe they are just in that transition period, but it wasn't a performance that we probably would have expected, especially in a USA-Sweden clash. Yeah, and the interesting thing, as you mentioned, transition, they haven't won a lot of, you know, the world youth tournaments in recent times. I think under-17s and under-20s where you know in bygone eras they might have been uh, particularly strong they've had a bit of a drought on that front and now with the likes of Megan Rapino, who uh, missed a penalty in the shootout and then also Alex Morgan who maybe didn't have her best tournament uh, up front for the US is it fair to say that transition looks like it's going to go on a little bit further yeah I think you'll have a lot more players probably stepping away from the international stage or you, you may not see them at a next world cup um, I know it's another few years away, so they may say playing with the national team for a number of years, but to get to another World Cup is a long way away, and I think that's a a difficult one as well because then there's more major major players in the team that have left with the experience, and yes, sometimes it, it can be a good thing in terms of it's new rotations, new players coming through, but I think maybe the management as well of them, you know, trying to play a, a lot more technical game than than they used to like I remember USA playing against them years and years ago pace power fitness they were the fittest team they were really hard to you know defend against strong but now they're trying to get in and and play more of a, a technical game and I think not that they're struggling but other teams are catching up um and I think now they're not being found out but they're they're coming more probably level par with, with other countries and um, that previously they would have dominated 
Yeah, and England being one of those as European champions, but they also had to go through a penalty shootout against Nigeria, who, of course, we drew against in our final group game. And, uh, you know, England would have gone in as favourites, albeit, I think, with the knowledge that this Nigeria team are better than what their ranking would suggest. But, yes. you know, as the game went on, was it what did you make of, say, Nigeria's tactics when they were up a player? Because it seemed, you know, defensively they were really organised, but then going forwards maybe... Did they sort of maybe they hadn't factored in that they would have that advantage and maybe kind of ran out of ideas? Would that be fair? Um, I wouldn't maybe not run out of ideas. I think they came up against a strong, you know, resilient England side who obviously they had to do everything to get themselves knowing that they were a player down. So every player was putting their bodies on the line. I think Alex Greenwood had a great game. Um, defensively, Jess Carter as well. You know, so the players were throwing themselves at the ball to to do anything they could. So I think Nigeria actually did very well in that. Um, it was also extra time so the tired legs comes into it they just had a long travels um, in terms of group games and, and travelling here there and everywhere across Australia to then playing against the European champions it's not going to be easy regardless of being up a number or not so I think they did well for what they could do yes probably the finishing and things like that when they took the chances they needed to be more clinical Um, but I think they'll definitely be proud of their performances. And like you said, their ranking definitely doesn't justify where they are in, in the world and, and and how good of a team they are. They're not just physical. They're not just fit. They are a very good technical side and they've got some individual brilliance, uh, especially on the wings. Yeah. And what did you make of the, the red card um, for Lauren James? Obviously, it was a yellow given initially for what I suppose we can call it a stamp, even though I suppose it wasn't uh, there wasn't a huge amount of uh, power behind it. But um, of course, on VAR review, um, there wasn't really any other decision but uh, sending off. I think just it, it's an experience, isn't it? And she came out to Lauren and has put a statement out and has apologised for the for the action and the behaviour and representing her country is ultimately the biggest pride for her. So she feels like she's probably let herself and the team down. Um, But I think it's just an, a moment of an experience and she'll learn from it. It's first major tournament World Cup wise. Um, So it, it's definitely going to be a challenge for her emotionally, but I've no doubt that the team will get behind her and she'll learn from it ultimately. And that's what it's about. Yeah, and of course the uh, the co-hosts Australia have also made their way through, um, beating Denmark and largely doing it without Sam Kerr. Obviously, she came on as a, as a substitute uh, late in the second half and I, I guess the reaction from the stadium as well. I mean, I don't know what the decibel levels are down are, are like down there, but certainly it was very loud um, as she was coming up the sideline. But what does it say about the actual squad that they have, that they've been able to you know make their way through and especially against a good Denmark team without her largely um, being involved? Yeah, I think they've they've had to adapt they've got no choice but to do that, especially with it happening the first day before the, the game against Ireland. So they had no reason but to adapt. And obviously then they lost Mary Fowler as well to a concussion, mild concussion. So um, they've had a lot of adversity probably going on within the camp itself, but they've challenged, they've challenged themselves and they've done really well with it. And I think you can see as the group stages went on, they got stronger and stronger. Yes, they had that blip against Nigeria, but... Um, I think they, they were showing their togetherness as a team, as a nation. They have the, obviously the crowd behind them and that's really good to being the host. Um, but I think obviously the more and more you play with it, with each other on a big stage and get used to each other's patterns and, and play and what each player prefers. Because if you think about it, like a lot of the time you won't be around a team for as long as you are during this period. You'll probably come in, do a camp and you leave after 10 days and you don't then see each other or play with each other in terms of teammates for another month 
So the the fact that they have the opportunity to do so and to build on performance after performance with the same front three, with Rasso, who I think is having a great tournament, Caitlin Ford as well now coming out and, and scoring goals. So I think they're, they're going to be a tough team for France to have to deal with, definitely. And obviously for football in general as the neutral, it's brilliant for the host to be able to go so far in the competition because it encourages young girls and boys who are watching it live to to want to play football ultimately in that country. Um, but also it just keeps the hype going and you know it's brilliant when the host nation are going further in competitions yeah and then of course Colombia of course who will be playing England in the uh, in the next round and you know their Jamaica hadn't conceded and they only did concede the uh, the the one goal in that game but really we're looking at a Colombia team and it's two uh, a story of two players at different ends of their careers so you've got uh, Catalina Uzme who did score against Jamaica but then also Linda Casado as an as an 18 year old who has a you know a, ba- a very interesting backstory as well for people who are um, kind of aware of stuff she's gone through you know where's the number 18 is 18 years old and it's really those two really have pushed the case for them isn't it yeah 100 i mean the goal yesterday was incredible the touch and finish yes you could say jamaica got caught out on the weak side from a long ball over the top and the gap between the defenders was probably too big for a team that haven't conceded a goal so far in the competition i wouldn't have expected that from them um but maybe tiredness came into it but an unbelievable touch and finish by the captain and Really, you know, that started then the 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 cleverness by Colombia. You know, I think up to that point you didn't probably really see their flary side. Um, but you got to see that on full show of being going down for clever fouls, um, being feisty, tough in the tackle, you know, getting the crowd behind them multiple times. I've seen players, you know, throwing their hands up and around and the amount of fans that were there for Colombia it was fantastic to see, but also then it gives them a massive game and knowing that them fans will come behind them going into England, which is another tough ta- challenge. But I think for that performance as a whole, it was tough to see Jamaica go out because I really wanted to see them do well with everything that's going on in the background with their federation and having to fund their own you know, trip to the World Cup. And so for them and some of the players that I would know, it, it was tough to to see them go out in, in the fashion that they did. But I think they, again, like South Africa, can be so proud of themselves and their performances in the tournament and ultimately they are better than what their um ranking says as well um and i just hope that their federation back them now after this tournament yeah and then the uh, final last 16 game which was uh france uh coming up against morocco and it ended up being a very comfortable win for the french especially once they uh they uh, broke the deadlock and it's been a decent enough tournament for usually little summer as well and uh capped with a couple of goals in that game yeah she's a brilliant player fantastic and i think She's probably one of the names that you don't really point out within that French, like French side. You're probably talking about Kashwai, Baka. Everyone speaks about Renard uh, in the in the defensive line. So, yeah, she's a, a stalemate for centre forward, like unbelievable in in what in her craft and what she does. And she's not like Alexander Pop, where she's very much airily gifted, um, but technically unbelievable and always knows where the back of the net is. And obviously you've seen that against Morocco. And I think she'll be tough for Australia to have to deal with and keep quiet. Um, So it's definitely going to be an interesting clash. 
Yeah, and uh, now turning our thoughts to the quarterfinals. So this is going to be across Friday and Saturday. Every match is going to be on RT Television and the RT Player and Spain against the Netherlands, 2 a.m. in Wellington. And then uh, that's on Friday, Japan against Sweden, half eight in Eden Park. And then Saturday at 8 a.m., Australia against France. Um, and uh, that's in Brisbane. And then in Stadium Australia in Sydney, half 11, England against Colombia. Now starting on Spain and Netherlands, how do they match up now? As you mentioned, uh, Daniel van der Donk is um, going to be out through injury and the midfield battle is going to be key because Spain have a host of midfielders to choose from but also they didn't play uh, Alexia Pateas in that or at least from the start against uh, Switzerland so how do you what do you expect the balance to be there between those two sides? Um, I think it's going to be tough for the Netherlands um, myself personally I think Spain will will probably do what they've done to many teams so far in this tournament and, and score some goals. I think Bon Matti in the middle is an incredible player. She's playing obviously a more forward role, yes. And then you've got the likes of Mateus coming in. Um I just think they're they're too strong of a of a side and a nation to especially in this tournament and everything that they've come off the back of as well with their federation and things like that. And players not playing now coming back into the side. So um I think they've got a little bit of a fire um between them as well. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I've been really excited watching Spain and just loving their performances so far, but I think that they'll dominate. I don't think um, Netherlands, unfortunately, have a lot to offer. And now, obviously, missing van der Donk, I think it's going to be a big loss for them through the middle of the pitch. Yeah, and Spain's vulnerability against Japan was where Japan were able to hit them on the break. And did the Dutch have uh, the tools to sort of do something similar? I know Spain have sort of learned from that defeat anyway, so they'd be they'll be wary enough. But uh, did the Dutch have the the pace and the I suppose the incision to sit back and strike like that? Yeah, I do think they have that game within them. They definitely do, and I think they have players in the forward line who are pacey and who can get in behind and and threaten Spain definitely. Um, I just don't see them probably having a lot of the ball to be able to to make the most of those situations. If they do, then obviously, yes, they will have chances and, and Spain need to be aware of that threat on the counter-attack. But um, I, see, I, sp- I see Spain dominating the game and having a lot of possession that um, Netherlands may not have a lot of chances and they need to be clinical if they do. Um, I could be wrong in saying this, but I do think that Spain will... Um, will score a good goal, score good amount of goals um, in this next game as well. Yeah, and as we've said, Japan, probably best team of the tournament so far in terms of performances we've seen, tactically very flexible as well, so can hit on the break as they did against Spain, but also can, with their technical players, uh, dominate a game. And obviously coming up against Sweden, who, are, um, who have knocked out the United States, one of the top teams in the world, um, the one vulnerability would be interesting, maybe getting your thoughts, the aerial battle. Um, we saw Norway were able to, to score um, off a header and also they created another chance against the Japanese in the last 16. Um, is that vulnerability something you feel Sweden are readily um, able to exploit? Yeah, I would definitely say that they're probably more equipped as well than Norway in that sense. Early, they have a lot. Um, the physical battle is going to be key in this game, definitely, especially for Sweden. Um, to be able to you know, get get those chances and to create those opportunities. And against the USA, you've seen that they want to create those like long free kicks, set pieces. Um, so if they do that against Japan, of course they'll have they'll have the upper hand in, in that sense. Um, so it's going to be definitely tough for Japan conceding free kicks and corners if they can minimize them. And then I think technically, um, Japan will will do very well with the ball at their feet and. 
I think they'll they'll be the better team technically and possession based probably as well. But in terms of Sweden, I think they're a very physical side. They've got great technical players as well. Um, if they can get those players and momentum going, Aslani in the middle is incredible. Um, and a very good player, very underrated, I think, within the world of football, uh, known to not probably as many as she should be. Um, so I think she'll she'll definitely have a, a say in, in the midfield. Um, but I think it's going to be maybe a closer game than Japanese like may expect or have come up against so far this tournament in terms of results. I think it's going to be a lot tougher. And obviously, Sweden will grow in the performance from the USA. Yes, they didn't have the greatest performance overall, but they won ultimately, and it's about winning. Yeah, and this then, end of the tournament. Yeah, and then Australia, France, and they met just before the tournament with Australia edging it now. Again, it's hard to judge um, from friendlies, but how do you expect this one to play out in terms of where who who will have more possession? Um, will it be Australia tending to play more on the break, like they did a little bit against Denmark? And are France France being as unpredictable as they are, where you know to, they could beat anybody in the world, but also they're they're quite vulnerable. Like, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I think France are very vulnerable, especially in possession across the back line. And I think maybe if Australia press from the front and higher up. Um, they'll have a lot of chances and turnovers um, from France into their possession and hopefully some chances on goal. And ultimately, you want to see chances and goals scored, especially when you're the host, like I said, and, and you're performing in front of your home fans. And I think that will make it tough as well for France, the amount of you know, the fans and the noise that's going to be behind it um, at their game. But I think ultimately France have an ever ever strong forward line um threat Kenta Daly through the middle as well great technical player in the midfield so I think the battle between Gory and Daly will be tough through the middle um but I do see with the likes of Baca and Kashwari on the wings for France fullbacks yes but more wingers um that battle with them and Caitlin Ford and and Hayley Rasso I think is going to be where the game's won and lost especially on the wings with the with the crossing to the to the finish but I don't know if I can call this one based off the performances of both of late. So they're both coming into form, going into quarterfinals. Um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting game, definitely. Yeah, and then, of course, the uh, the other game between England and Colombia. And, of course, Lauren James will be missed. And they've been, you know, they've England have shifted formation a little bit in this uh, in this tournament, played 4-3-3 at times, but then they found themselves with a 3-4-1-2 um, in some of their more recent games. And that probably leaves a little bit of vulnerability in the um in the areas behind the uh, the wing backs. And given that Linda Caicedo will be playing one side or the other, I, I imagine um, you know, England will be favourites, but they're you know, they will have to be a little bit wary as well. Yeah, I think it might it'll be interesting, obviously, that battle of if Linda plays on the their uh Colombia's left, like Lucy Bronze versus Casado will be brilliant. Um if she plays on the right. However, I I don't know maybe if if England will switch it up and bring Rach Daly maybe back into a more defensive role, obviously with her pace and stuff down on the left hand side. I know you've seen the rotations of Alex Greenwood playing on the left, Jess Carter through the middle, um, which for a physical battle um could be very good in terms of the centre forward for Colombia against, you know, England's back line. But I think the biggest threat is is their their pace on the wing and England need to be aware of that, which I know they definitely will be. But to miss Lauren James is obviously a massive loss, but they have then Kira Walsh coming back into the side off an injury that thankfully is not so serious. Um, 
so she was able to obviously play in that game against Nigeria, which was a shock probably to many to see her come straight back into the starting lineup. But ultimately, it's um, it's one of their best players, and everything goes through her. So it, it's brilliant for England as a whole that she's back in and around the side. And I think maybe you haven't seen the best of Alessia Russo yet this tournament either. She's come off the back of an unbelievable Euros tournament, but a player that wasn't probably relied upon from the start, and now she is. Um, and she's got to be that 90-minute player for England, whereas before she was coming on maybe with 30, 25 minutes to go. And, you know, after Ellen White had done a lot of the doggy work for the centre-halves, you know, Alessia Roos is coming in fresh legs and it's hard to deal with. Um, but her experience hopefully will shine through from the Euros and um, some important goals are needed. So it's all to play for. And I'm looking forward to that one as well, because I don't think it'll be as easy as maybe somewhat might see it. Colombia are a tough side and very physical, technically very, very gifted. Um, so again, another another quality clash. I actually think that the harder games are from the right hand side of the bracket compared to the left now, as I look at it. So, um, it, it's going to be tough, but brilliant for the neutral overall. Yeah, and before uh, before I let you go, just if we're going to get you to call these now, I know predictions there. <laughs> you know, predictions are predictions are the hardest thing to do in uh, you know in, in sport, but um, we'll just see you know who who you think will um, get to the semi final. So if you're calling it Spain Netherlands, who do you think is getting through there? Uh, I'm going to say Spain. And then Japan Sweden. Uh, Japan. Australia France. I'm going to stick with the hosts and say Australia. I said from the start, they'll they'll go far in the tournament and they'll do well. Um, I don't think many people probably thought that of them. So I'm definitely going to stick with Australia on this one. And then england Colombia. Um, I think this could go a long way in terms of extra time and things, but I hope it doesn't for players' sake. And obviously with a lot of friends at England, I'm going to have to say England for the individual friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how we'll see how it pans out. All those games, anyway, live across RT and of course on the RT player as well. And Megan Campbell, thanks very much for your time. No problem. Thank you, Ralph. and a half likes, shares, comments and tweets. Cadbury sponsors RTE Soccer Women's World Cup podcast.